how's it going? So uh, the follow-up on the part two for the post-void posts of um, the Punisher International series, uh, or whatever the hell I want to call it. Uh, yeah, this time I got uh, some notes, so, you know, hopefully it'll be a little more organized. I know last time I kind of started going off about, uh, about how sad I was on seeing the uh, death of the arts in Boston, which is something that definitely needs to be said uh maybe uh it's a little out of place in the uh podcast you know maybe i'll uh do a whole cast upon that in the coming future uh and then also uh mentioning my friend gustavo which did seem a little out of place but at the same time uh when i was able to re-listen i actually kind of realized that that was very in place especially with the uh with the fact that you know uh essentially um the point of judging your neighbors and you know um being fearful of the fact that somebody that is honest and trying to um essentially assimilate is a threat you know um but i don't want to get into that all too much um yeah so anyways um figured i would kind of start off this part two with a a little caveat, a little, uh, little story that I have, um, from my past, and this actually does not have to do with the theme, it has to do with another event that, um, is very similar to the Boston Marathon bombing in a similar time frame, also in New England, and, uh, something that I'm not getting into because I feel like still having a radio show (laughs) or at least still being able to do this whatever I'm doing uh yeah so that being said I figured I'd start this off with a funny little story about another event uh yeah so uh I was in school uh, I want to say this was like 2011, this was, this story starts around 2009 actually, and uh, I was in school at Westfield State College, um, at the time it had not turned to university yet, um, I, I could do, a, again, a podcast on that, I can, I, I could go in about how my, pre- my president for my school um, embezzled money to go to the Bohemian Grove, and how that's actually on masslive.com Evan Dobell Bohemian Rhapsody if you ever search it you will find about how he embezzled our school funds to literally suck rich dick yeah but uh anyways so um I was at Westfield State College and my uh, roommate at the time uh who shall remain nameless because I still am friends with him and I don't feel like uh I don't know, I just don't feel like involving him in this podcast. Um, because I don't think he would appreciate it. Um, so he, uh, brought a girl. He, he, uh, he picked up a girl on eCupid or what? Yeah, I think it was eCupid. Like, isn't that like one of those old dating sites? And like, uh, what is it? Yeah, I think it was like something, uh, okay Cupid, okay Cupid. He picked up a girl on okay Cupid, and this was back like we were in college and we were kind of making fun of him. We're like, dude, like, you had to pick up a girl on a dating website? Like, you know, now, like, now that's the norm. But like, you know, back then we were like, oh, dude, why don't you just go to the bar? Well, like, he's like, oh, no, no, I found it, I found a decent girl, you know, we're hanging out. And, um, 
she uh, she lived about like 40 miles away. We're we're in Western Massachusetts right now, and um, right next to Springfield, Massachusetts, and. You know, he brings her over. They have their night. I, uh, I, I give him the room. You know, like, uh, the, you know, um, you, you know how the deal goes. So, like, you know, let him have their time. I come back. Well, you know, I end up crashing in the in the bottom bunk because it was bunk beds. It was a forced triple. Yeah, they used to pack kids in these freaking dorm rooms like sardines. We're uh, we were in a double that was supposed to be a single. So yeah, like uh, we were we were bunking. And, uh, next day we, I wake up and, uh, you know, they're like, oh, let's go out for breakfast. I'm like, oh, yeah, I am down. So yeah, we, we go to the diner and we're, we're talking, uh, I can't remember her name, but, um, I'm, I'm just going to call her, I'm just going to call her, um, his friend. Yeah. Or I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to call her the girl. Uh, I'll make up a name, Stacy. All right. So, um, Stacy was um basically like she was telling so i'm asking her i'm like so like you know what do you do what are you into like you know what's going on and she's just like oh like you know actually where i'm from it's really boring like everyone hangs out at the walmart and i'm like wait what the fuck she's like yeah yeah no like there's no mall and and all the kids we just kind of hang out in the walmart parking lot and i'm like what i'm like wait the and this is in New England? I'm like, what the fuck? That sounds so bland. And like, even then, I'm like, you sound like the most interesting person from your town. And she's like, oh, yeah, I probably am. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck town is this? So, like, um, so then we had to drive her back, back to her hometown. And my friend, he's driving. And um, I'm in the back seat. We're, you know, we're, we're driving into Connecticut down from... Uh, Massachusetts and I have kind of a I, I like I, I'm from Massachusetts everyone from Massachusetts has somewhat of a disdain for Connecticut so we're, we're driving through and like everything just starts to get more and more cookie cutter and I start to have almost like a little panic attack and I'm like when we pulled into our town I, I legitimately was angry and I was yelling in the car at her. I'm like, not at her, but like in confusion. Like, really? Like, this is where you were talking about? This place is horrifying. Like, this looks like Stepford Wives. There's white, like, there's white picket fences and like, like churches on grassy hills. It looks like The Sims. I was telling her, I'm like, this town looks like The Sims. I'm like, it doesn't even look real. Like, it looks like I just drove into a movie set. And she's like, yeah, like, it's so boring here. See that Walmart over there? That's where we all hang out. And it's like this Walmart, like, sp perfectly placed in the middle of the town. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck is this town? And, like, we drop her off. And, you know, and then we're driving out. Like, I, I think I held my tongue a little bit. And then when I was driving out, when I was talking to my friend, I'm like, dude, this place gives me the fucking creeps. I'm like, this town is not cool. And I literally said, if I lived here, I would go insane. And I'm like, so what's the name of this town? He's like, oh, it's like Newtown, Newtown, Connecticut. And I'm like, oh yeah, it would be called Newtown. Like, uh, it's a fucking generic name as well. Like, fucking Newtown. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I drove through Newtown and my first reaction to driving into that town was like, just 
a visceral, just existential fear. I had this existential dread the entire time I was in that town because it just seemed, like, like I said, two Stepford Wives, The Sims, it seemed way too just fabricated. It was weird. I can't explain, I can't explain how I had that take. I've never driven into a town in my entire life and had that similar take like that. And I don't know, man. I'll, I'll like, you know how they say with gut reactions and shit. Like, I can't explain that one. I, you know, maybe there was something in the air or, you know, it definitely wasn't in the water. I didn't take a drink out of the water there, but maybe there was something in the air. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, that's my, my other story that if I go in, if I make, I can't make an episode about that one, <laughs> God, nor would I want to because I'd probably also have a lot of angry people that, you know, uh, already are giving me uh, a little bit of a leeway here with conspiracies. <laughs> yeah. So, um, back to what the original podcast was going to be, which is the wrap up or at least, uh, the part two, I might do a part three later in the future, but there's a lot of things going on right now. Um, like apparently, uh, direct energy weapons being leaked by the DOD. Yeah, look that up. Um, but, uh, anyways, um, back to Craft International. Uh, go back and watch, listen to the first part. Uh, skip the parts where I start to trail off, specifically about either the arts in Boston or, uh, the Gustavo part's still a good listen. But if you want to get the real nitty-gritty of it, you can skip those two segments I kind of had in between. And, um, I'm sorry, I, I guess I'll do a real quick rehash here. Uh, Chris Kyle, he's the founder of Craft International. And, um, Craft International, um, it was founded pretty much right when he got out of the service. And, um, his service is most famously documented in the movie American Sniper. Chris Kyle is the American Sniper. So, um, right when he got out of the service, he created a training team that actually operated more like a mercenary team. Essentially, they trained mercenaries, high-level mercenaries. And probably in, um, you, you could probably compare what he was doing to that of, uh, say, the School of the Americas, which the School of the Americas was uh, where most of the uh, far-right-leaning dictators of Latin America went before they became dictators in Latin America throughout the 20th century. <laughs> like, you know, um, pretty sure most famously uh, Noriega and Pinochet went through that school. So, Chris Kyle was kind of doing something very similar in the 21st century with his group Craft International, where he was training mercenaries to not only be like Navy SEALs, because they already were trained in high covert missions. This is kind of more him training them as like agents, I guess. Um, yeah, um, kind of a quasi-intelligence type of level going on there. Uh, and, and he seemed to have a really, really strong honing in or this strong focus on um, mindsets and political galvanizing. Like, he could galvanize other groups to do things. Basically, he was training these mercenaries to be leaders of proxy armies. And not only leaders, but a very fluid 
with that as well too. Uh, there's a lot to be said about Craft International. I'm not even going that far deep into it because I'm trying to make an overbroad um, analysis thesis here. So, uh, a broad, a broadening, a, excuse me, a broadening thesis here. So, Chris Kyle. Um, all right, this is gonna get a little weird. And these timelines are very strange and very, very close to each other. So, listen in. Um, Chris Kyle died February 2nd, 2013. How he died was on a shooting range with one of his other close veteran buddies. And I guess they were trying to rehabilitate a soldier that had severe PTSD and this soldier turned his gun they were they're on a firing range with this rehabilitated ptsd soldier and he turned his gun on chris kyle shot him dead and shot the other guy dead i, I can't I, I can't remember what happened to the the shooter i don't know if he killed himself he either went to jail but either way chris kyle died in a self he kind of like put himself in that situation it was really odd like this very peculiar, peculiar death. I mean, you know, not to sound too woo-woo here, but I mean, like, if you were to ever ask me a death that would have seemed faked, eh, that one kind of leans on that one, because, you know, he, he, he already had experience in doing odd, subversive things like that, and then the way he died on this shooting range alone with, like, a guy that he was like had under his wing it was really really weird so um chris kyle dies february 2nd 2013 april 15th 2013 was the boston marathon bombing it has been confirmed confirmed that craft international was there as quote security even though they did absolutely no security. When the bombs went off, they did not secure the location, they did not try to help the injured, and they just talked on their earpieces. They didn't even draw their weapons. They, they talked on their earpieces, they were not chasing down anyone, and peculiarly enough, like, strangely enough, they were wearing the exact garb that was going out as, this is the terrorist, the terrorists, they look exactly like these Craft International guys. We're looking for somebody with a black backpack and a black jacket. And so, like, the only argument you could make would be that, like, the Craft guys started freaking out because they were getting reports of people that looked like them setting the bomb, so they didn't help anyone. It still doesn't make any sense. It still doesn't make any sense that if they were there at the Boston Marathon, then that was my tax money. That was my tax money being spent for them to be there. And they did, they are like Navy SEAL trained and they did not help any injured people, civilians that they supposedly were fighting for when they were overseas. Yeah. Bullshit. Like they, they knew exactly what they were doing and they knew that they were involved with this Operation Urban Shield and that they were supposed to be some sort of mock terrorist group. So, if anybody turned this live, if anyone was to turn this live, it was Craft International. 
Because the thing is, is that the, the police officers that weren't even involved in the drills, even the police officers that were aware of the drill were probably like, holy shit, wait, this is real? Like, you know, like, how, how do you get so many people to be duped or to go along with a false flag is by putting them in a state of buffundity, putting them in a state where, or stupor, where they don't know what's going on and all they know is what they're trained to know and they act upon that training and everything around them is so confusing that they're like all right hey it must have just been intelligence down the line you know like maybe this was a drill because they knew this was going to happen i'm not questioning it i'm just trying to hear do my job and 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 catch the perpetrators i'm told to catch like you know and so it, it, it it's easy to, it's actually easy to dupe a very large group like that like the how most of the police officers and detectives i would say because they were already planned they were already trained in this type of situation happening and it's not not only their job but it would it would literally it could it could break their mental capabilities to uh, do their job if they were to try to question the environment around them, you know? Like, it, it, um, it's, it's not their job to do it. Supposedly, it's the journalist's jobs to do it, but everyone knows that most journalists are from central casting anyways, and the ones that aren't are uh, still under adherence to their editors, at least, you know, for the most part. So... Chris Kyle's death, February 2nd, 2013. Boston Marathon bombing, April 15th, 2013. So, about two months after Chris Kyle dies, his mercenary team is involved with at least one of the largest and most influential, or sorry, one of the most influential terrorist attacks that's happened within the United States. Because that was a terrorist attack, there wasn't a shooting, it was a terrorist attack. So, one of the most influential terrorist attacks to happen in the United States in the past decade. Yeah. So, um... Then, uh, Kraft International goes bankrupt June 4th, 2014. Yeah, so, um, about a year later after the Boston Marathon bombing, Kraft International goes bankrupt. Cited because of the fact that they had their funding cut. Where were they getting funding to begin with? Probably, yeah, maybe some private entities, but they were probably a defense contractor as well, too. I mean, you know, even if not officially, hands upon hands upon hands traveling, you know? And it seems peculiar that a group that's so, that has such a notoriety and such a, uh, just a high rapport with uh, veterans across the board gets their funding cut you know like it almost seems like they there is like they figured out something a little weird and they're like yeah we need to cut this group off now like you know like they, they, they got their hands too dirty uh they got too many pictures taken of them in sketchy places you know so yeah and then after all of this uh, six months later in December 2014 is when the movie American Sniper released. So American Sniper was released after not only Chris Kyle's death, but 
After the Boston Marathon bombing where Kraft International has been proven to be there for absolutely no good reason, and then after Kraft International already went bankrupt, so it's almost like they couldn't release this movie until Kraft International was gone. And then that and then there you go. That's the lasting impact of Kraft International is the fact that you have all right. I don't want to skip too far ahead here. So I have to Okay. Kraft International was one of the I personally believe and you can, you can really look at the timeline here. 2013 what also started happening around 2013 with our police force. Now, in the last podcast, I was mentioning about how the their logo, the Punisher logo, with the slogan, despite what your mama told you, violence does solve problems. That logo and slogan slowly started to get perverted with the thin blue line, black, blue, and black, that really just kind of meant fallen police officers. Um, it started getting perverted. And it's like, and then it, it started, it just fused into one. And, and it's basically like that blue, black, and blue flag with the Punisher logo over it is just the same as an American flag, well, the American flag, black, blue, and black, sorry, black, white, and blue. That's, that's actually pretty much the, one of the worst flags you can fly. But, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's message is the same as if you were to overlay a Punisher logo on the traditional black, blue, and black. Um, uh, the black bar, blue stripe, black bar. Uh, which in and of itself is not a uh, violent message. So, what was happening around 2013, or at least a little later, but it was starting to trickle its way in, is this um, this military buyback program that the police do, where they any surplus military gear that is deemed acceptable, or at least um, something that the police could eventually use, is sold back to the police on a discount. Now, all of this stuff is purchased by taxpayer money, excuse me, and seems kind of funny that it's purchased by taxpayer money and then they can resell it again to another group that's also funded by taxpayer money well that and um you know extortions and like you know uh like um auctions and stuff like that yeah <laughs> that's how the police make a lot of their money too is by auctioning off um freaking evidence yeah or or just straight up robbing people but uh yeah like <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, you know, it, I've never gotten straight up robbed by a cop, but I've heard stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, hell, huh. most speeding tickets are kind of a robbery. Yeah, but uh, speed traps, that's highway robbery. So, yeah, uh, anyways. This military buyback program happening during Obama. Uh, this is all right in the thick of the Obama administration. So, um... You have people coming out of the military, veterans coming out of the military, and it's a known fact that, especially because of their education and training, that many of them go on to become police officers. It's 
just, you know, kind of obvious. And, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily dissing that. It's their training, you know, like they're, they're trained in, in weapons and such. So, you know, where else, aside from private security, what else are they really, you know, accurable to do? So, um, you're a veteran that's now a police officer and you see this equipment coming into your, into your station. You know what's going on here. You know that the police are being militarized and it probably feels comfortable to you because you, that's an environment you are familiar with. So it starts to kind of leak over into the rest of the force and just the overall mentality. And then not only that, but then leaks out to everyone in full support of, of the police force. You know, unquestionable, unwavering support of the police force. They will adopt the mentalities of the most staunch officers, which often are veterans. I'm not bashing veterans here. I'm just saying how this mindset carried over. So the, the militarization of the police isn't only due to the fact that there's equipment coming in, but it's from mindsets and also like almost the the subtle wink, wink, wink that yes, America is turning into a war zone, even though they were stocking up long before uh, any of these major riots were happening or anything like, like that. And I still don't even think that we're living in a war zone. I think that's a fear hype type of deal. And I think that's a type of deal for you to be convinced to shoot your own neighbor. Yeah. So, uh, the last part's my uh, own personal take there. So, this buyback program, it, re like, it really got kicked off uh, by Jeff Sessions, actually. Because Obama, at one point, actually, well, he wanted to take a step back from it. He was getting a little worried. I believe it was, like, after Ferguson and stuff. He was like, ah, oh, God, like, ah. You know, I, I don't want I don't want people to think that we're invading them. Like I don't want civilians to think or citizens to think that their police force is invading them. And then Jeff Sessions famously put, um, "We are done. Um, Obama is done putting superficial concerns above public safety." In 2017, Jeff Sessions said, "Obama is done putting superficial concerns over public safety. Superficial concerns." So apparently the militarization of the police and and the 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 casual co-opting of the American flag is just a superficial concern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, just you know, it's just it's just all aesthetics, right? Yeah, it's just all aesthetics. Who, who cares? You know, and then uh so you have this you have all of this military equipment coming into the police forces right after the Boston Marathon bombing and because you know they're like oh what if we need to do this again what if we need to swat an entire town like Watertown again like wh wh what are we going to do and well, Watertown is only like three towns over from where I am I mean shit so it's it's pretty pretty nuts it's pretty pretty nuts and I had I was at G20 Pittsburgh and I saw um, in 2009 and I saw the amping up of the, the militarization of the police and how it seemed more like an army than that of a, not even an army, it seemed like a special forces 
more than that of a a community um, public service officer, you know? Um, And it's funny too, because these, what, what is the main mantra that you used to hear from self-toted patriots. These colors don't run. <clears throat> These colors don't run. I get I, I get the uh, the pun there. It's supposed to be like, oh we don't run away or something. But here's the thing with the black and white and blue in the middle American flag that literally is the colors running off the flag. Like, you're, you're, that's such a, a lie and a hypocritical statement. Of course they run. You are run. you are the one running the colors. Like, if those people that say these colors don't run are pretty much most likely the ones that are toting that black and white and blue American flag and running the colors off the flag it's <laughs> oh man remember the tea party <laughs> i know right who, who remembers the tea party anymore nobody like, i mean i'm not I'm not saying the tea party was uh you know um like a godsend but i but i shit look look at the tea party and then look at what we're look, look at most of the conservatives nowadays and it is night and day night and day and like you know it's it's i uh they we we lost we failed like you know um, a lot of these movements that we used to think were on like at least somewhat honest and somewhat authentic always get co-opted just like all these, just like I was talking about with even the black, blue, and black flag got co-opted and turned into a tyrannical symbol of some sort of um, state that our law enforcement believes they live under and that they also believe that the people that they rule over, citizens, are of a different state. Like, they literally, somebody that is flying that flag that black and white and blue american flag it it what the message it is sending is the fact that they believe that that is their flag and that that is held even higher than the american flag because you know what they probably think america's fucked anyway so like this is the one that i'm jumping onto now like but you don't see any other political movement doing that. You don't even see BLM trying to take the American flag and turning it into different colors. I mean, I've, I've seen, like, one with the gay flag, like, doing the American flag in rainbow colors. But, I mean, like, no one's, no one's really taking that seriously and flying it. Like, that's, that's a joke flag, kind of, like a tongue-in-cheek flag, you know? The, the, the black and white and blue flag is a very serious one, and people will... Fight to, defend, fight to defend that flag where the American flag, they they kind of have their hands up on now. It's, it's very concerning. Like, and um, just there are some extreme comparisons to be made with the mentality that Kraft International 
operated in, the fact that they were a training team to essentially be a uh, coin and tell pro type of group, you know, just a um, an agent of chaos, an agent of hell, even misinformation, an agent of confusion. And, and then bowing to a strict adherence to power. Like, this is what Craft International has a track history of doing. And all you need to do is watch the movie American Sniper again to understand that type of mentality. The, the glorification of it, you know? And uh, I recall, too, actually, uh, Hurt Locker came out around that time as well. There were, like, a lot of weird pro-military movies that were coming out around, like, the span of 2010 to 13, which didn't really make too much sense, because, like, Obama was in office, and Obama was not the warmonger, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, the Arab Spring was fake. Um, so, yeah. Um... Chris Kyle, man, he, there, there's so much more to be said on this. I'm going to do a part three a little later on. I'm going to do some episodes in between this, but just remember the fact that you, you, if you're, if you're looking at the second amendment and you're like, oh, the second amendment was created specifically for, uh, citizens to be able to take up arms against tyrannical government, Right. A lot of people, I, I would say that, yeah, I, I do agree with that sentiment as well, too. I think that uh, Australia is pretty fucked right now. And they probably wouldn't be as fucked if they allowed pump-action pump shotguns. Because <laughs> like, these cops would be a little more afraid about, like, you know, I don't know, patrolling their hallways in, in public housing or stripping people off the streets from not wearing a mask for 10 seconds. Like, yeah, uh, it's... it's it was really rough down in, I believe, Victoria. And um, I've been hearing about Darwin uh, being turned into the first smart city, or at least the first westernized, quote-unquote, smart city, which is Australia West East. Um, yeah, so if you're toting the Second Amendment to stop a tyrannical government, then you have to identify that flag code was created to stop the usurping and cooing of Amer of the American government. The flag code, its most important point is the fact that you cannot take the American flag and perverse it and change it and turn it into something else. Because that is how, that, that is the easiest way to siphon in a coup. Or, or you know, maybe not necessarily a coup, but some sort of, um, like, authoritarian state that's not democratic. Yeah, I mean, I understand we live in a republic, but still, that's, that's, that's really not democratic. And, uh, alright, I'm gonna leave you on another story. I know I started this with my Newtown story. I'm gonna end this with a very personal story. So, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago. And I decided on my last day, which my last day of my vacation, I was home. And I, I kind of wanted a relaxing day. I wanted a relaxing day. And I had just come from Hampton Beach. 
and from Maine, uh, Old Orchard Beach, and some other places. And I had a bunch of sea glass and shells and beach, cool beach stones in my car. And I thought, hey, why don't I go down to the cemetery where all my friends are buried and all my relatives are buried. They're all buried in the same cemetery. And uh, if you guys know anything about conspiracy theories, it's uh, Evergreen Cemetery. Yeah, Evergreen. Yeah. But uh, anyways, um, so look up Evergreen Hillary Clinton. Anyways, so um, yeah, I was uh, going down to Evergreen Cemetery. I took the back way in. The reason why I took the back way in, which nobody usually takes, is because I was actually, that was my Eagle Scout project. My project for Eagle Scouts was to clean out the back trail of the cemetery that all my family and my friends are buried in. So, I know about this trail. I remember pulling the old rusted out muscle car from it, you know, and I'm like, of course I'm going to park my car off to the side and take this way. So I walk in through a back way, I pop out in the back end of the cemetery through a way that most people are probably unfamiliar with. I don't really care. And it's legal. And I uh, was walking around. And now I had not been to this cemetery in about four years, even though it's in my hometown. Uh, I it, it gives me bad vibes. You know, there's too many people there that I know. And it's, uh, it's usually, I can't really go there unless I'm in a, the perfect mindset, you know? And I hadn't gone there in four years, so. I hadn't seen my Nana's grave in four years. I hadn't seen my um, I, I hadn't seen my Nana's grave in four years. I hadn't seen my mom's best friend grave best friend's grave in four years. I hadn't seen two of my best friend's graves in, in two years. Gustavo, who I mentioned in the last podcast, is in this cemetery as well. I wasn't able to make it to him. So um, I was walking around. First was seeing. Uh, I saw, uh, first I saw one of my friends, uh, his dad, and, uh, you know, I, I gave respect to that. Then, um, I kept moving. Um, if you know anything about cemeteries, you know, you, you, you kind of try to look up a row and then you, you might rewalk a row to see if you missed somebody's name or something, which I did. And I, so I was walking pretty sporadically through this about four acre plot where I know that almost everyone that I know is buried in because it's the four acre plot they've been working for the past like 10 15 years and uh I see this this van this weird 2000s blue minivan pulling up kind of behind me and I could hear a like coming from the van so I'm like oh there's a police scanner in the van and guy pops out at one moment and uh I see him pop out, and he's wearing, like, uh, camo cargo shorts and a black t-shirt. He's older, probably about six, in his, at least 60s to 70s. Uh, skinny man, white, uh, short, uh, buzzed white hair. And he walks up to one of the graves that I had just walked up to, and looks at the shell that I put there, and then walks back into his van. So I'm like, all right, he's probably the groundskeeper. Like that would make sense. And that's probably why he has a police scanner. I'm like, I didn't even, didn't even, I, I took note, but I didn't, I wasn't tipped off at all. I'm like, all right. So then um, I'm walking through and I finally find my friend Corey's grave. 
who he um, had accidentally OD'd when he was 18 because he was uh, used to be a party animal and didn't want to wait on his dealer to give to to buy bud to buy marijuana off of when um, there was a blizzard going on in 2010. So instead, he just started going through the medicine cabinet and downed a bottle of methadone, which uh, that is a heroin substitute, and killed him on the spot. And uh, his his last his famous last words were, "I'm not gonna die, guys." Because they were like, holy shit, you're going to die. Throw that up right now. And he's like, uh, I'm not going to die. And then he died. And he's in a room full of kids. They didn't know what to do. They didn't call the 911 until like three hours later. It was a whole fucked up mess. And um, I, I found his grave. I found Corey's grave. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to walk over there and really pay my respects here. And, you know, and, and this was right after I had found my Nana's grave in my grandpa's grave and that, that I forget that they're only like four four graves away from Corey. So they're literally I'm right behind my Nana's grave and my grandpa's grave and I'm at Corey's grave. And um that van pulls up to me again. And he pulls up and he's like yells at me when I'm at Corey's grave saying, Hey and I'm like, excuse me? And he's like, do you know him? And I'm like, um, or sorry, I shouldn't yell that loud. Uh, I don't want to fuck up anyone's, so I don't want to redline here. It's like, do you know him? And I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know him. He's like, it's like, oh, you know how he died? And it just clicked to me when he said that. I'm like, this old man was following me around the cemetery. And he, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, do you know how he died? Unless you knew how he died like you know like what if i randomly said that to somebody in the cemetery like you know like they would probably be like oh he had a heart attack fuck off like you know but he od'd so i'm like this guy knows that i'm at a grave right now of someone that od'd and he also thought i didn't know him at first so it clicked and i just i kind of go off on the guy and i'm like are you kidding me? Are you insinuating that this is a crime because I'm visiting my best friend's grave that happened to accidentally OD? And I'm like, getting pretty angry and animated at the guy. And I, I, I take a step forward. I take one step forward. He just reaches into his cup holder, pulls out a gat, points it right at my face and says, yeah, yeah, you better step back. And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe you just pulled a gun on me in this freaking cemetery uh, and he's like oh i didn't pull out anything and he like puts his gun back and i'm like what the fuck i'm like i start yelling witness i'm like witness witness i hope i need a witness and like i look around me and I, there's no one there aside from all my dead relatives and friends and i'm like oh my god i'm speaking to a freaking field of dead people right now what the hell and he's like oh like and then i i, I start going up to Oh, well, so somebody said that you know, they, they reported, somebody made a call and said and reported that you were acting suspicious around the cemetery. I'm like, yeah, you're damn right I'm acting suspicious because I'm fucking sad. I'm like, I'm, I'm paying my respects to these, these crazy I'm like, what do you mean somebody made a call? Like, oh, well, I'm a cop. I'm like, oh, really? You're a cop? He's like, I'm like, well, where's your badge number? Where, where, where's your uniform? Where's your anything? You're a cop? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a cop. And I'm like, give me your number right now. What's your name? And he's like, he started zipping his lip. He's picked her right up. And I, I, I'm like, 
son of a bitch for fucking profiling me while I'm at my fucking Nana's grave. And I'm like, oh, oh, like, I, I, I still makes me so angry. And like, I, 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 I instinct kicks in. I'm like, I don't care if this guy has a gun. I'm going to run to the back and stand and get some fucking license plate right now because I didn't have my phone on me. Because I don't bring my phone when I'm in the cemetery because I find it disrespectful. Uh, you know what I find even more disrespectful? Pulling a fucking gun on somebody when they're mourning in a cemetery after they hadn't been there for four years. So, <laughs> um, I run, I get his license plate, and um, I, I, I got it down. And then uh, I went right back to my house, went right to the police station. Went to go file a report. So, um, filed a report at the police station, and the officer I was talking to was uh, Officer Sleeper, and uh, I was talking to him for a bit, and uh, he seemed pretty, pretty, you know, engaging. He seemed like, you know, he, he was taking it for a genuine, genuine concern. But here's the thing: the one point that I noticed when he was asking me the description of the man, when I said. Looks like you, but 30 years older. And then what he said back was, oh, well, I hope he was handsome then. And then I said, oh, well, yeah, maybe 30 years ago. Was I talking to a retired, was that man a retired police officer? And that's why he said he was a cop? And I'm like, so, and then I asked him, I asked this officer, I'm like, hey, if this guy was retired, does he have the jurisdiction to do what he did? Like, and he's like, no, absolutely not. He, he cannot say he's a police officer, and he had, does not have proper training or updated training, so he cannot do that. And I'm like, I, I'm well aware, I just need to tell that. Finally got a call back a couple days later. My uh, license plate that I gave him was correct. And they found him. They uh, gave him a stern talking to. And real hard slap on his wrist. And uh, let him know. Yeah, so this guy's uh, still out there. that's being bred and being pushed and being uh, uh, essentially rewarded. <laughs> this creepy vigilante that uh, if anyone is suspect, it's not only like uh, somebody saying something, now if you see something, fucking shoot them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, they're trying to turn everybody into their own little police officer, I guess, right? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Because you were like, oh yeah, maybe if a cop pulls me over, you'll think that I'm part of the family or something. Well, that's kind of the uh, black white. much the same as a credential as oh I bought this car with this sticker on it <laughs> with this paternal order the police sticker on it all right so I'm going to wrap this up now I think I got some good points in that I didn't bring up the first time but I am going to leave it off on this as well fuck the paternal order of the police if you really are for 
um, if, if you understand that there are systematic issues within our police state, whether you say you want to completely defund them, whether you are pro They have been doing some of the most nefarious shit, not only to like, you know, uh, the BLM people, but also to, to the Patriot, which you consider as well. So, you know, uh, they call this type of stuff And, you know, it's uh, flying that type of flag that I was that I keep talking about. And it kind of is, because, you know, you you don't realize that uh, you're, you're, you're eating from the hand that's also Um, if you really want to fix not only this institutionalized, just sheer oppression, but also the mindsets that permeate through all of us that kind of uh, have this mentality, that punisher mindset, then, uh, yeah, I, I, I would point fingers at the paternal order of the police, and I would also say that crap, anyone that was uh, working for crap marathon during that time because they did not do their jobs which technically their jobs would have been to save the injured secure the area and try to at least do something rather than just talk on their shirts who were busy who were dying 10 feet away from them yeah so or well, supposedly so anyways um yeah that's that's my little spiel about chris kyle and how much of a bastard he is and uh how he's probably burning in hell so yeah anyways Peace, guys, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, thank you for listening.